Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve. Fuel your body with the best. Use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out numaoutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery elevating the archery experience take a test drive with the matthews v331 or 27 at a local dealer near you vortex optics i've been partnered with vortex since 2010 this company is awesome they're american owned veteran owned they're based in wisconsin their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics accessories and apparel most of the apparel that i wear while training scouting and hanging out around the house is Vortex Wear. Go ahead and check it out, and if you want to save 20%, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE at checkout, and you'll save 20%. New from Vortex in 2021 is their tripods. The one I've been using in the backcountry is their Summit Carbon Tube, and their Radian Carbon, and it also has a ball leveling head, and it's perfect for rock solid shooting. There is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime no-fault transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at VortexOptics.com. 
Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. What's up, guys? Welcome. Today is going to be a quick little solo cast. I'm going to catch you up to speed a little bit on some of the adventures we've been on and uh, let you know kind of what we got left in the docket and hopefully keep you motivated, keep you fired up because, man, elk hunting is a gift. Let me pay some bills. I want to give some shout outs to the companies that make this thing possible. Wilderness Athlete, if you're not taking Hydrate and Recover in your Nalgene, in your water while you're elk hunting, then at least take it when you're home as a recovery aid between workout bouts. Uh, I live off the stuff. I'm a two scoop a day kind of guy. Wilderness athlete. We got a discount code, Elk Shape 30, 30% off. Hook it up. Vortex Optics. Vortex wear. Like, they st- I'm wearing this flannel shirt that my wife said I look good in today. And it's from Vortex wear. Um, that's that's a big deal to me. Uh, I use the UHD 10x42s for, for all of my Western big game. I use a 65mm spotter, the Razor. It's definitely like you got to get the angled, in my opinion, if you're going to be sitting there glassing for a while just for good, solid eye relief. Uh, and then I do use the, the 4000 rangefinder because rangefinders are like and, – and always pack an extra rangefinder battery in your pack in case you didn't know that little hack. Like that's a must. If I don't have a rangefinder – I'm probably not going to kill. That's how important it is to me. So this this rangefinder there is legit. So Vortex Optics, man, they're veteran-owned. They're out of Wisconsin. We're actually doing an elk-shaped camp there in 2022. And speaking of which, we have a bunch of badass prizes to announce in the next couple weeks. For all you folks who signed up for elk-shaped camp pre-sale with all those incentives to come elk hunting, to go black bear hunting, to go axis deer hunting, uh, to do some backcountry e-bike rides, like we got some pretty cool prize packs. Um, we got like a a pretty cool shooting experience, VIP experience at Vortex. I've got a bunch of cool giveaways. That's awesome. And Elk Shape Camp, they're not sold out. We got spots left, but the price is going to jump up again. So you need to get on there and get your spot locked in, especially if you had an elk season where, like I think ideally I would prefer you to go elk hunting and before you come to a camp at least once and see how hard that shit is and see like all the mistakes you made. Um, and maybe you'll even see, you won't, maybe you won't even know that you made some mistakes until you come to camp and we talk about it and you'd be like, oh, aha, that's what we did. And that was, you know, so you're always going to make mistakes elk hunting, but if you can mitigate them and not make them again, your, your odds are going to go up. Um, Nobody's got elk hunting figured out all the way, by the way. Don't get it twisted. But there are some best practices, and I bring an army of badass people to not only help you on elk hunting, but here's the truth. Elk Shape Cam is disguised to make you better at elk hunting, but it's going to make you better at life. You're going to leave more fired up with a network of trustworthy peers that are going to keep you on the up and up path, and you're going to have like this laser focus on life and what matters and prioritize your like the things that matter know your why and i just want to help give you more drive and that's what elk shape camp does spy point trail cameras i don't even like trail cameras unless they're cell phone like i'm so spoiled right now um using the lte micros and i just and like i don't have to walk all the way back get my scent into areas uh if you got cell phone service it's super cheap they got an app that is legit and you just get your little uh, push notifications, check them, see what's coming on, what's coming in there. Battery life's awesome. A lot of their cameras come with solar power as well, so you can extend your battery life. Uh, they they come with boosters, so you can like basically if you have like a one bar area, you can get two or three bars with the booster. 
so I have the boosters, and uh, they're a game changer, and they're cheap. I think it's like 119 bucks for a cell phone show camera, and then just like your monthly fee for, and you can pick like Verizon or AT&T or whatever makes the most sense for where you hunt. Uh, I think most of mine are Verizon cards, and uh, they're, they're, they're doing, they're killing it. I think their cameras are awesome. I'm, I'm super serious. Like, I love them. Numa Outdoors came out with their 21 gear. I got to test it all in New Mexico. I'm, I'm going to talk about the pursuit pant first and foremost. Like I was waiting for these pants. Like this is, they did it. They made a super awesome elk hunting pant, the pursuit pant. Check it out. Uh, they also got a bunch of cool, like new tops and I don't know the names I'm supposed to, like my job description is probably to know the names and I will once I kind of get some few reps, but I can't even remember, like I can't remember all the names, but I do know like the Palisade Puffy never leaves my backpack. You got to get that. They have alpha verdict top and bottom for like warm glassing, like staying warm while you're doing long glassing sessions. I didn't really, that was, that stuff, I haven't busted that stuff out yet. I'm still using kind of like their early season stuff and I'm really, really impressed. I have a discount code. It's in the show notes. Uh, Elk Shape 20, take 20% off. Go to my website or go to the show notes and you can see where to, to get hooked up with NUMA and go do it. Uh, off-road power products out of Spokane, Washington. These guys are the ones that help build my truck, my mobile attack unit. I use the rooftop tent quite a bit, but there's also a lot of nights where I didn't want to put that rooftop tent up. I just want to sleep in the back of the truck. And so I could just, I got a couple of bed rolls. I throw them on top of the deck. I got the rooftop over my head, kind of blocking any weather. It's, it's the best of both worlds, but I, I hunt out of my truck guys and having the deck system, um, and they're just a dealer for deck, by the way. Like deck systems, it's not off-road power products, but they definitely sell them and they'll install them. And I'm telling you, I love it. I've heard some other guys say that the deck systems, like they're not into. I am. Uh, but off-road power products for any needs, suspension upgrades, what uh, you know, the Lightner rack, the rooftop tent, the Thule Tapui is the name of mine. Um, I got a cup. I got a water can, a gas can recovery boards. Uh, I got a bunch of storage systems for all my stuff. I mean, just just know this. If you're going to dedicate a rig to elk hunting, start chipping away at maybe doing a few upgrades here or there. Man, it really makes a difference. Uh, On X is the most robust backcountry navigation GPS system. I don't carry a GPS. I carry my phone. I charge my phone up every night while I sleep with like a battery bank. I'm on Onyx all day, checking topography, checking hybrid, checking satellite, running tracking, looking up waypoints, adding waypoints, trying to figure out where the elk are going to be, what they're going to do. We live and die by Onyx. And the land ownership is legit. You can trust it. So uh, I do have a discount code. It's Elk Shape. That'll get you 20% off Onyx. Get an elite membership. Have all 50 states. Matthews Archery. I have this new prototype. I can't talk about it. But I want to. It's awesome. Kufaru Hoodlum. That's my go-to elk hunting pack. People ask me, how's the 22 mag? It's phenomenal. I think it would work really well. I think the 44 mag would work really well. But my number one go-to for elk hunting, specifically for hauling elk meat off the mountain and big to small packs would be the Hoodlum because it can expand and contract. It can carry and handle large loads, long distances. And uh, it, just the way that I have mine set up, it's, I can get in and get out. Uh, it's a f- 
the Kifaru is in a league of its own. So for those asking me, how does the Kifaru compare to X brand? It's in a league of its own. Crispy USA, I wore the Colorados the most. Second place would be the Brickstalls. Third place, the Laponias. Uh, the Colorados are just, they just are the best for me. Uh, and if you're going to get some Krispies, buy them off Black Ovis. Use the discount code Oakshape, save 10%. Black, Black Rifle Coffee Company, discount code Oakshape, 15% off. Cowboy Coffee, every day of September. We did not do instant coffee this year. We vested in taking an extra 15 minutes and letting that shit percolate. Greatest decision of my life. Coffee was so good and so worthwhile. It was like rock, paper, scissors on who had to get up first to start the water. But all you had to do is once that happened, it was wait 15 minutes. And I never started the water once. Ask Jake. He got up every day and did it. And so did Hunter. Um, and uh, yeah, I feel bad, but I don't. So uh, Black Rifle is a great veteran-owned company, totally two-way conservative, pro-hunting, and I've seen people's comments on my YouTube channel bashing them, and I just look away because I don't, I don't, I don't know what world you live in. I know Evan, I know Matt, I know all those guys. Um, now Dana Monroe works there. She was at Kufaro. She now, I mean, Black Rifle Coffee Company can't say enough. Baku e-bikes. Now, I did not get to use my e-bike as much as I liked this year thus far. I brought my e-bike to Nevada for the antelope hunt. Didn't come in handy. I didn't need it. Um, I didn't bring it to Idaho or New Mexico because I wasn't going to need it. I am going to be bringing it on one of my November hunts, and I can't share what that is yet, but I am going to need it. And it's super quiet, stealthy. People ask me, is the backcountry e-bike does it replace a dirt bike for like steep, ruddy, rocky, nasty single track? And the, and the answer is no. Quite honestly, no. I think the e-bike shines when you can ride closed gate roads or grades or abandoned logging roads, like all my bear hunting stuff, um, or if you can use it to slip in and slip out of a ground blind, of a tree stand, you don't want exhaust you don't want the noise of a machine that's when an e-bike really shines and you can get in and get out and they have great battery life i have a discount code it's elk shape it'll take 300 bucks off it's a worthwhile they last long they are sturdy well-built robust machines and check it out last but not least buck knives they are right there they're my neighbor they're right there at post falls idaho made in usa longevity history sharp knives. What more do I need to say? So I'm not using Havilons anymore after trying to take my hand off last year on an elk, butchering an elk, and I still have nerve damage in that left hand. I still have a lot of numbness. I am not to be trusted on the fourth quarter of an elk at 2 a.m. on day eight of a hunt under duress, tired, fatigued, and trying to get that last quarter off. I cut myself so bad. And I've had so many close calls with the Havilon. And I know they're cheap. And I know they're probably made in China. And scalpels kind of make sense. But they break. And they're almost too sharp. So I like a nice, big, fixed knife. And I don't know, man. I just think you too got to watch yourself when it comes to 
you just got to watch yourself when it comes to those like replaceable blade heads, man. Like those things are almost too sharp and it's not, I just don't think it's necessary. So, um, I've been packing a couple of different knives from Buck and I've been super impressed with the 659 Pursuit Pro large folding knife. And they make a 656 Pursuit Pro. It's non-folding large knife. Uh, if you're on their website, it's uh, probably got it's like a bright hunter orange handle. Um, super sharp. I'm really impressed. If you're looking for something a little more budget conscious, look at the 656 Pursuit large knife. It's not the Pro. It's about half the price. Both those knives will do the job. And you can cut an elk top to bottom. Um, and it's something you can resharpen when you get home. It might last you a few elk, um, and you should not cut your hand off like I about tried to in 2020. So, all right, guys, long intro, but let me introduce myself. I'm going to be doing a solo cast. My name is Dan Staten. I am 40 years old. I am a public land elk hunter. I would love to be a private land ranch elk hunter. If anyone wants to go fund me, I need about $25,000. I'd love to hunt Northern Utah private ranches. Um, but reality is I'm a public land elk hunter. I love the grind. I love how hard elk hunting is. I love competing against other hunters, other predators. I love elk that are educated. Um, I, I love the whole thing. I love going into wild spaces. I like hunt, hunting new areas every year. I like learning new country. Um, I like being tested. I like coming home physically exhausted but mentally um on my game because i get to elk hunt elk hunting has changed my life i think it can change yours i think it's left something that you can leverage to create more discipline in your life when it comes to training nutrition faith and family uh, and even finances elk hunting is a gift from god and um, i'm pretty passionate possibly the most and I want to help inspire you to do what I do, which is go out there and get elk meat and put it in your freezer. So let's get into this podcast. We'll catch you at the end. Check, check, check. Elk Shape Podcast. Dan the Fitness Man, what's up? I am uh, going solo today. No special guests. Nothing special about this Blue Collar Podcast. Uh, We're going to sit down and kind of debrief some hunts. Uh, it's going to take me more than one episode to do to catch you up to speed. Uh, goal is to try to get through some antelope and some Idaho elk hunting. Next podcast, we will cover the highly dramatic, somewhat corrupted elk hunt that we had in New Mexico. Um, obviously, a lot of our hunts are filmed and they will be on YouTube this year. Uh, but uh, for right now, I'm at home on a short break and I'm going to get you guys up to speed. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by hard work, delayed gratification, being accountable to yourself. And that's important to me because this is a lifestyle. I feel like we're all super blessed to be elk hunters. Uh, elk hunting is something that just you can't haphazardly commit to. It does require a little bit of an all or none approach, at least if you want to have consistent success on public land. Speaking of public land, if you're like me, you're on social media, um, not very much during September. And when you are, you're scrolling through and you're seeing big bulls put down, um, you know, I did a I did say a little something on Insta story mid September about hey don't look at other people's success and get jealous um you know don't put labels like oh sure I could kill a 6 point there if I could hunt that 
private ranch. Maybe you could, maybe you couldn't. Um, I do know a lot of my friends in the industry do hunt private ranches. Um, they do kill bigger bulls. They do have probably less hunting pressure and, um, but they're still elk, man. They still want to live. And I just find the public land grind to be just that much more rewarding when you do have success. And I don't know. I just try to keep my ego out of elk hunting. Like at the end of the day, I really want to eat elk meat for the rest of the year. Like I literally want elk on the menu. I want to go downstairs to my freezer, open it up and grab steaks, grab burger, grab roast and feed not only myself and my family, but to be able to share it with others um, and be a provider. Like that's super important to me. Uh, so you don't get it twisted. I mean, I love trying to kill big bulls. I'm probably not that good at it. Um, I've definitely killed some big bulls. I've killed a lot more not big bulls though. Uh, and I like killing elk, period. Just because I like to eat them. They're delicious. So keep your blinders on. Don't compare yourself to others. If you're not happy with your situation, then just do something about it. Make a change. Do something different. Uh, and there's some things I'm going to do different for 2022 based on what I've already experienced. And I might get into a little bit of that this year, or I'm sorry, on this podcast, but we'll definitely cover that on the next one. So my season for the fall started August 1st, 2021. I drew a Nevada pronghorn tag. Um, so the, the unit I drew was not my first choice. It was my fifth choice. And I made a mistake. I shouldn't have put down choices four and five because, quite honestly, I can hunt antelope almost every year in Montana or Idaho or Wyoming. Nevada is a little more special. And having seven points, that's seven years of buying a 200 and something dollar hunting license that's non-refundable and giving them $15 per point, you know, that's a lot of money invested into potentially hunting antelope. So it was, to me, kind of like a trophy antelope hunt is what I somehow told myself. Started drinking some coffee on National Coffee Day, Black Rifle, flying elk roast, black, no cream. Anyway, so I drove down from my house, and it was a long drive. I mean, it was over 12 hours from Spokane to, we'll say, northern Nevada, although I would say the unit, just because I would try to make sure no one ever burned seven points to hunt this unit. Um, but I'll, I always inevitably get emails saying, why are you blowing up my spot? And uh, I don't want to do that to anybody. But gosh, if you could figure out where I went, don't burn points for it. So that's kind of a spoiler alert. The recap on that hunt was um, solo, self-filming, seven days. Uh, I saw less than 30 antelope total. Uh, the whole valleys are agriculted, like, ag like the whole valleys are cultivated, like water is being pumped into, uh, ag fields where you're having lush spanses of pure, beautiful, sweet alfalfa nestled up against really high, tall mountains that are more or less mule deer country, not antelope country. I started on the west side of the unit because that's where the highway I came in from. And actually looking at maps, I figured most people would not be coming in that way. Um, I hit Indian Reservation, then dropped down and woke up at first light and just started driving um, 
the day before the opener and just driving and driving. And I just drove all this pavement, all this dirt road. I did like a 200 mile round trip circle of the entire unit and I saw zero antelope. I was extremely concerned. I even pulled into a couple local like gas stations, talked to some like wildland firefighters, um, cool dudes. And they were like, yeah, man, like we haven't seen any antelope here. So I was like pretty concerned. Um, to the northeast side of this unit is all like crazy, desolate, flat, sagebrush desert. And I was like, well, then I guess that's where the antelope are. So a lot of the antelope I've hunted in Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho, they like sagebrush, but they also like ag fields. And they do like a little bit of both throughout the day. Like usually in the mornings, they'll be on ag. They'll come off into the desert, hang out in the desert most of the day, and then they'll come back. It's basically like they do mornings and evenings and nights on the ag fields. But during the day, during like human daylight hours, they like to be out in the desert. And I was expecting that, and I could not find that anywhere. So opening day, I basically woke up next to the start of the desert, got on the four-wheeler, and just started to ride. And I immediately found an antelope buck, and he was the dinkiest little buck I've ever seen in my life. And then uh, I started to investigate more, and I found that he had three does nearby that he was kind of hanging out with. So then I started checking all the nearby water sources, and that place was droughting hard. I found one out of seven springs actually had water, and a guy was already had a ground blind set up there. And so I backed out, uh, ended up running into that guy a couple days later. He was actually a pastor out of a town called uh, Winnemucca, Nevada, if you know where that is. Super nice guy, just gotten into bow hunting, and had already missed, like, I think he missed that dinky antelope buck three times. And uh, he had his wife sitting in the blind with him in the middle of the desert, which I was like, wow, your guys' marriage is way stronger than mine because I could not do that. Um, but pretty cool guy. Um, so then I think the next day and a half I spent in that area just, like, trying to get to vantages and glassing antelope. I really wanted to spot and stock one. I don't mind sitting in water, but to be honest with you, it does feel like I'm serving time, like I'm in the clink. I'm, uh, I'm doing a sentence, uh, ground blind stuff, unless like animals are coming in on the daily, on the hour, or like you're seeing wildlife. Like I don't mind sitting in ground blind over water, but like if you're not seeing anything and you do like dark to dark sits day after day, it can kind of feel like you're serving time. It's pretty bad. Um, so I ended up going more north and ended up hitting the end of the unit and I found the mecca of all hunting pressure. Every uh, every little pullout had a camper or somebody antelope hunting and we're talking like vast swaths of just BLM like deserty, nasty, dry, hot cattle were out there and then I guess there's some antelope out there and um, you know you pull up a map and you can see where all the waters are at and it doesn't take long to drive around and see a ground blind at every water source so basically I decided I wasn't going to hunt the north north end because there's too much hunting pressure I wasn't going to hunt the south end because there was no antelope and if there was there's like ones and twos so I kind of went to that middle ground where there was probably still less density but there was probably some antelope and no hunting pressure and that's what I found 
And it took me another day of just putting the miles on my four-wheeler and checking all available water to find, I finally found some antelope. And I actually was driving this weird road on a four-wheeler. The only thing I'd seen up to that point were cattle. I come up over this ridge and an, an okay buck and a couple of does run out in front of me and cross over. And I was thinking, you know, it's one o'clock. It's the hottest part of the day. I think these guys were probably coming from water. So I pull up my map. I don't see any water. And then I look to my left and I see a bunch of moo cows hanging out kind of over in the corner of this flat. So I just hopped off the four-wheeler, did about a two-mile walk, and looked over the corner. And sure enough, there was a water tank. That's where they push dirt up to hold water from a, like either a spring. Uh, in this case, it was a spring or some sort of runoff. This was a man-made water hole. And it was not on the map. And I glassed it, and I'm like, I don't see any ground blinds. And those antelope definitely just came off there. So I walked down there, and I was like, yes. Antelope, water, nobody else hunting it. Threw up my uh, ground blind. I had a Zenic ground blind attached to the back of my four-wheeler. Brushed it in and basically went back to the four-wheeler, moved it to a good spot, and started setting that ground blind. That evening I had, man, I think I had three antelope does come by the water but not get water. But it was just enough to show me like, okay, they're in the area. This is good. And then I think this was probably day five was my first full day so it basically took me four days of scouting and driving the whole unit to find antelope, to hunt, and I did it. And so day five, I sat that ground blind from basically first light to, to dark. And what I did see was at about 11 a.m., I had something like 18 antelope does in one group come over the top of a mountain, come all the way down, get water right in front of me, and then walk away from the water a couple hundred yards out and bed down, I would say three or 400 yards from my ground blind in the wide open. And I was like, yes, a buck is gonna see these does. He's gonna show up, get water. And I remember noting that this pond was so big that where the antelope got water, it would be like a 70 yard shot. And I did not wanna take a 70 yard shot sitting down in a ground blind. And so I remember telling myself like, once these antelope like, once it gets dark, I'm gonna move my ground blind probably 30 yards closer to that corner of the pond. And then that way I'll, you know, be able to get two different shot angles, both under 50 antelope are fast. They can matrix your arrow, that kind of thing. So that was my plan. And at about three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm glassing and I'm looking out the corner of my blind and I see a Toyota truck parked right next to my four wheeler and the guys out of his truck glassing my, me at my ground blind. And I was like, Oh geez please don't come over here. But sure enough, the guy starts, he gets in his four-wheeler, or gets in his Toyota, same thing really, and he starts driving over to the water hole. Now, there's no road to this water hole, by the way. So like you actually have to walk in, which is why I liked it even more. So he's like off-roading his Yoda, and he pulls up right next to the water tank, and I jump out of the blind and put my hands up in the air like, really? What are you doing? Like you're, you're ruining my hunt. And he rolls down his window, and he's like, Oh, hey, I didn't think anyone was in the ground blind. I was like, yep, okay. He's like, um, yeah, so how long are you hunting this water hole? And I was like, um, I don't know, until I kill. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I have a lot of 
I have time. That's what I have. He's like, okay. He's like, do you mind if I set my ground blind up next to yours so when you're done I can just take over? And I said, you know, I would prefer that you would like, like not do that. The 18 antelope does that were just bedded down 300 yards away, yeah, they just ran away when you drove over here. And then he felt bad. And so then I felt bad that he felt bad. So I said, why don't you give me your number and I'll call you when I'm done or when I kill and then you can take over. Because like, I guess the competition is pretty thick for good water holes. And then he said, well, I actually had a ground blind here, but the cattle destroyed it because cows will definitely rub up against your ground blind and ruin it. And so I had to drive all the way back home and get another ground blind. And I was like, Roger that. Sorry that happened. Maybe you should pack extra ground blind, but I will leave your name and number at my four-wheeler. Please leave. I'm going to kill a buck today. So he left, um, and I sat the rest of the evening, and a few of those 18 does did come back and get more water that evening, but no bucks. So up to this point, I've seen one dink buck, a couple of does, and then I've seen 18 does. So we're like still low 20s for antelope, and we're starting day six. Day six was my one day where I probably should have killed. I got to the ground blind in the dark, uh, hung out forever. And the temperature swings in the desert are crazy, y'all. Like it's literally like 30 something degrees uh, before the sun comes up. And then within just an hour or two, it feels like it's in the 80s, pushing 90s. Long story short is it wasn't until about two or three that I saw a doe and two fawns come over the crest of the background mountain come down and they came close to the water but they just were nervous about my blind and they laid down and hung out for quite a while and then they proceeded to like skirt my blind skirt the water and pretend to feed but they're really just nervous about my blind being there which wasn't good and they're doing their thing and they're walking around and they're kind of behind me to the side of me back out in front of me and I'm completely distracted by them that I don't notice the buck that I saw with the with the antelope a couple of days before that led me to this water source. And remember, I said he was a pretty decent buck. He's probably like a 65-inch goat. Like, I was hoping to shoot something in the 70s or 80s. Not that I measure, but like, I was hoping to shoot a really good Nevada antelope buck with seven points. And um, this dude shows up out of nowhere. And, man, like, he just comes charging in towards the water pretty much catches me off guard and he gets to like about 30 yards and I'm like my heart rate's racing my arrows knocked I'm hooked on and he just 180s out of there before he even commits to the water so I don't get a shot like it's not because I didn't it's just because he just came straight at me never offering broadside and then he 180'd out Goes and lays down. It's all on video. He lays down about 150 yards away and just sits there and stares at me and the blind forever. And we're going to interrupt this podcast for a quick little message from Black Rifle Coffee Company. These guys make amazing coffee here in the U.S. and they're veteran known and they're proudly American and unapologetic. I appreciate that. If you guys are interested in joining their coffee club or 
picking up maybe some swag, ready to drinks, or check out that new Flying Elk Roast flavor, use the discount code ELKSHAPE and that'll save you 15%. Also, Kafaru International. This is the backpack of choice for elk hunters. I use the Hoodlum or the 44 Mag. You guys need to check out Kufaru International if you are serious about packing out large loads of perfect protein off the mountain. Head over to kufaru.net to learn more. We're also brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app. I've pretty much gone away from using an old school GPS. Obviously I still carry like an inReach, but all my hunting maps are stored and executed with the Onyx. This is the fastest downloading offline maps out there as well as the most resilient bulletproof not going to crash on you when you need it most i run tracking most days while elk hunting and i found onyx to be the most reliable hunting gps app out there check it out today and finally baku e-bikes these are e-bikes made for hunters by hunters this is a game changer for elk hunting as well as bear hunting checking your tree stand trail cams getting in and out quietly. I rock the mule. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to knock $300 off your purchase. And if you do that, you might as well just go ahead and apply that discount towards a folding cargo trailer so you can put your elk quarters and haul them out back to the truck. Well, about five o'clock and they got, it's really hot there. I'm sweating. My shirt's off. I'm like soaked in sweat. I'm in a sauna. He gets up and starts heading in a straight line back towards me. And this will be on YouTube, and it's not trying to spoil anything if you're into watching YouTube videos, although our antelope videos don't do well. Um, the buck comes in to 20 yards. He is facing me the entire time. I am sitting there with tension on the string, not pulled back, waiting for him to turn broadside, and he's sitting there, and he's drinking for like over a minute, which if you've antelope hunted desert stuff before, seems like antelope get water in like 10, 15 seconds, and they're out. A minute goes by. He's just chugging water. Dude was thirsty. When he gets done chugging water, I, I know he's going to turn, and so I just go ahead and pull back. Well, I pull back, and he just 180s again and walks straight away from me. And again, like he's not the buck I came for, but I also like punching tags. And so I'm like, I'm going to shoot this buck. He basically just walks out, walks away from me, keeps walking, walking, never stops, and just walked right out of my life. And I was devastated. Like I was hoping to get a shot. Um, so he came from 150 to 20 yards to out of archery range again never to be seen no other antelope came that day and we're coming up on day seven and i'm like kind of frustrated at this point because like number one for me like i don't like burning time away from family chasing antelope for this long that's why i kind of stopped mule deer hunting in the high country is because to do those hunts proper it's like a 10-day backpack hunt plus drive time like you got to commit and to me like i want to save all that kind of time for elk hunting and so I was feeling the pressure to get home. So I decided that day seven would be my last day. Plus I would sit in this blind forever and I have ADHD to the 10th degree. I was like losing my mind, no cell service, um, no podcast downloaded. I was bored as, bored as hell. So fast forward, I sat that blind from dark to dark, never saw an antelope, packed my blind up, drove back to camp, loaded up camp, started driving home that night 
drove all through the night, showed up at my house at about seven in the morning. Um, no, nobody was awake yet. I went downstairs to the guest bedroom and just passed out, slept for a couple hours. And then, um, that evening Tim came over and made me film that elk motivation video. If you ever saw that one, it's impossible to possible. We filmed that. Uh, and then, yeah, that was it. I was, uh, on a break and my next hunt wasn't till August 23rd. So that was a great time for me to spend with family, celebrate 40th birthday. I turned 40. My wife turned 36. Our birthdays are a day apart. Um, we spent a lot of time up at our cabin on the river, just enjoying family time. And then August 23rd rolls around and I'm headed back or I'm headed down to Southern Idaho to do some antelope hunting. And then from there, I'm going to go right into elk hunting. Um, so the antelope hunt, when we got down to Southern Idaho, and if you're not into antelope hunting, I'm sorry, I've gone 20 minutes and just talked about antelope, but I love antelope hunting. I think they're one of the hardest animals to kill, spot and stock. I think they're absolutely delicious, and I just think they're a great challenge. So we went back down to Southern Idaho with my best friend uh, since I was six, is Tyler Denham, good dude. And um, we met up and set up camp in our usual spots, and some people know where I hunt, and and that's fine. Um, I've come to terms with that. People can figure out where I hunt, but if you can't figure it out, that's good. And so we, the whole area that we hunt, um, is a mixture of, like I said, BLM desert and agri agricultural, like cultivated ag fields. A lot of it's alfalfa, things like that. And we split up and just surveyed our entire unit. And this year they changed the units to, and made them even smaller. So we actually had less real estate to hunt, um, due to all the hunting pressure from last year. So, um, I thought it would be a positive thing. I definitely didn't see that many hunters this year, which was great, but I didn't see that many antelope. Um, we had we had a drought year, and all like I already had a ground blind down there and a couple of spy point show cams, and I was getting antelope on the daily walking in front of my ground blind. But when I got down there, the ag field I was set up was completely yellow and dead. And same with Tyler. He had a couple of ground blinds out that historically produce and they the fields were just dead and we talked to some locals and found out that if you didn't have water rights which starts somewhere in the 1800s if you didn't have your water rights the state of Idaho told you you had to shut your water off from your ag fields so there was like I would say 50% of the normal ag fields that hold antelope were dead yellow like no water a lot of like the water holes dried up and we knew that we were going to have to pivot. So Tyler and I spent approximately six days. He probably sat a ground blind three times as much as I did. I, I, I just couldn't do it. After the Nevada trip, I was like, I got to go spot and stock or I'm going to lose my freaking mind. Um, and so I was up in kind of the mountains hunting just the, there's just a little tiny density of antelope that live up pretty high, like around eight to 9,000 feet. Yes, that high. And they're few and far between, so it's a lot of glassing. And then when you find one, you can't screw it up, and it takes a long time to get to them. And they can see forever. Like, antelope can see 500 yards crystal clear. 1,000 yards, you bet your ass. And antelope travel by vision. So, like, if you wanted to get from point A to point B, you would just go that way. And antelope will take point – they'll go from A to C to D to B as long as that they can see – way out in front. So they only take the pass where they can see way down the line 
to survey for danger and they'll stop and stare for 15 minutes and then they'll just sprint 500 yards like that and then they'll stop stare for 15 minutes sprint 500 yards so like they're incredibly amazing like they just go so fast and cover so much country I spent most of my time up in the hills chasing bucks and and there's a buck in particular that I've been hunting for three years and I did relocate him this year and I've been so close to killing him I can't even tell you and this year was no different I got to 80 on him and I think yep they picked me off I was waiting for them to feed to me and they just picked me off but I noticed that he was like it's totally him like there's dead giveaway with like his mass, his width, where he lives. There's no other antelope but him. But he was like literally missing 10 inches this year. Like the water shortage had affected his everything. Like his cutters were all right. His prongs were like decent. But like he was literally missing so many inches because he was pushing like Boone and Crockett in Idaho. Some people won't believe me, but I have prior footage of him. He's missing a lot of like not bone, but just horn. He's missing a lot of horn. And so I didn't care, but it's just interesting to me. Uh, after six days, and Tyler and I moved camp three different times. We moved ground blinds. We did all sorts of things. Uh, we used trail cameras and all sorts of just different tactics, spot and stock, working together, working separately. Nothing. Neither one of us had, had shot an antelope. So on August 29th, there was, uh, Jake was going to be arriving, Jake Webb, to film me elk hunt in a nearby unit. So we just told him to meet us at our antelope camp, and then we would just drive over to elk camp. Well, that morning, I went to a brand new to me area and found an antelope buck on top at 9,000 feet with does. And I was actually shocked to see him. I was kind of like looking for elk in the morning and maybe looking a little bit for antelope. And so I decided to park the bike and just on foot shadow this herd. And because when I saw him, they were in a complete plateau, like shelf, like mesa, if you will, in Idaho. So there was no play. So I hung out in the bright sun and watched them feed off this shelf go down the mountain quite a ways and head over and stage in a bowl. And I was like, I'm following them. So I followed them, hung out in the sparse trees, a couple hours or a couple hundred yards from them most of the day. It was getting pretty late, it was like four or five o'clock. And they finally got up to feed and they were like working their way out this drainage. And they went to this little ravine. So I'm shadowing them. They're moving. I think there's like five or six does, a really nice mountain buck, and they're working their way out of the bowl, and there's this big ravine, and they just all of a sudden walk up to the edge of it and drop off. When they decided to drop off, I knew they couldn't see me, and I began to sprint the 300 yards because I was going to get to the edge of that ravine and shoot them as they fed. I don't know what they were doing. The whole time I'm running to the edge of the ravine, cl closing that 300 yards, I'm watching the other side, see if they pop out. They never did. So I get to the edge of the ravine and before peeking over, I just like tried to catch my breath because I'm at altitude. I just sprinted and I don't want to like see the antelope and have that shot opportunity materialize and be out of breath. Um, 
So I just kind of took a couple of deep breaths and then I peek over the edge of the ravine and it's, I don't know how deep it is. And I look over and I can see, just barely see the bottom and I see zero antelope. So then I pan to my left, I don't see any antelope. I pan to my right, I don't see any antelope. I look back up across the ravine, they didn't come out. I'm like, what the heck? So I knock an arrow. I range the bottom of the ravine at 65. I slide to 65 just in case if I'm not seeing them. And I take about seven, eight steps to my left, paralleling the ravine, and I peek over, and there's a doe. They are in the bottom of this ravine. I range her. She's 65. I'm like, okay, this buck's going to show up any second. Uh, and then, boom, there he is. And he's feeding slowly, and I range him, 65. I pull back, make my T, bend at the waist looking for my target. I got him. I did notice that my feet were very close to where my arrow was going to go. That's how steep a shot it was. I don't know the pitch. It was steep angle. Uh, and these are like, this was going to be a total archery challenge shot. So there's the buck. I'm not shooting the brand new Matthews at this point. The, the one I'm not supposed to talk about. I'm shooting the V331. I'm using um, a hand. I'm not using a handheld release. Uh, this bow is set up for an index trigger. Um, the way I shoot those, I don't punch them. I wrap the second knuckle on my index over it, and I just kind of keep pulling through the shot. And so I'm my, I finally find my anchor. I find my level. My pin's where I need it to be, and I'm like, okay, Dan. And it's windy. It's really windy. And so, and I shoot in the wind, practice in the wind. So I know that if I don't get nervous about the wind, and I let my pin float, and I just stare at what I want to hit, and if that shot breaks eventually – it's going to hit where I'm aiming. So I'm just like, keep pulling, Joel Turner. Just keep pulling and break. I got a clean break, and I hear whack. The buck jumps, runs up the top of the ravine. The does go everywhere. They scurry, and the buck runs on a dead sprint 150 yards away from me and stops. And now my adrenaline's pumping. I know I'm not going to get a follow-up shot. I put my bow down, pick up my UHD Vortex 10x42s. I put them up in the glass. And I'm also self-filming. And the buck has blood pouring out of his shoulder. And it's actually like going down his right leg as well. And it's like he is saturated in blood. And it's just pouring out. And I can see my arrow sticking out. Uh, I did not get a pass through. And it looks like I got like... A couple inches of penetration but the buck is literally like staggering around I've seen this before they like kind of like stagger and then they just tip over so I'm just like I remember saying like okay just fall over just fall over and he's staggering around staggering around blood's flowing I'm like yes I did it and then like that he just like comes to his senses stops staggering orients his body uphill scans the horizon, locates his does 500 yards up the hill, and starts walking with a limp towards them. I've filmed it. Like, my arrow is sticking out of him. Blood's coming out everywhere, and he's walking uphill. It didn't take me long to figure out that I literally just probably center punched, center punched his shoulder blade, like the spine of his shoulder blade. Like, the thickest part is a Grim Reaper Micro Hades 125 hammered into his bone. So he just starts walking, and I'm like, holy crap, Dan. 
like that's not going to kill him. You have to shoot him with something. Like you got to get another arrow in him. So I literally jump down the ravine, go up the other side, and I'm not even looking for blood. It, I'm looking for where I just saw him, where I just lost him in the horizon. I get up there, I find his track, I see blood, and I start following him, and I start following him, and I start following him. And what you know, he just walks right by where I had seen him before, where I parked my dirt bike. So then I'm like, screw this, I'm hopping on my dirt bike. So I hop on my dirt bike. I'm like, I got to get eyes on where they go. So I, I ride up to the next biggest vantage and I see him again and I park my bike and I watch him go and his does are always 500 yards ahead of him. They're running. He's walking. He cannot run. Uh, so I just basically waited about an hour and then I went up to the next vantage, found him bedded by himself. He never made it back to his does. He was in a phenomenal spot. I took my sweet ass time. I took my backpack off. I took my boots off. I got an extra pair of socks on. I got climbed up this mountain, literally got on top, got the wind right, had him marked where he was, where he was at on Onyx, start tiptoeing. And pretty soon I get to like peeking over the ledge. I feel like I'm mule deer hunting now. And I'm like, okay, there's no way he's going to see you. And I look and he's not there. And I'm like, well, where is he? He was just right here. And I'm looking and I'm looking and this is where I screwed up. Soon as I didn't see him, I let my guard down. What I didn't know is he was actually just 20 yards away from me on the next little fold. So I got sloppy and I was like, okay, he must have ran away. I'm going to start looking for blood, looking for tracks. And next thing I know, I see him jump out of his bed. Had I been on my A game, I would have realized, okay, you, you were a little off on your orientation. He was just 20 yards over more. You can use your top pin. You can put an arrow in him in his bed. He ain't going nowhere. And he runs off. Well, by this time, it's getting dark. And I'm like, all right, I got to go find Jake. Let him know, like, hey, what happened. And so I bust down to, to camp, tell the guys what happened, saw Jake. And uh, we decided to go look for this antelope the next day. And um, that's what we did. And I'm going to save you the details, but basically I ended up finding this antelope again without his does bedded. And Jake's in the bottom of the canyon waving me directions on how to sneak in on him. And I got so close again, but he picked me off and ran away. And by this time the arrow had broke off. So he's just got this broadhead in his scap. Um... I'm really shocked that my Grim Reaper didn't make it through the scap. Like, I've shot elk in the scap with a Grim Reaper and had it go into their lungs. Elk. Um, but then again, that was with a full metal jacket or that was with an Easton Axis. Maybe these ripped TKOs don't penetrate as good. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm always going to keep it real, but like, I don't know. I was pretty surprised. Um... But I do know this, I left trail cameras out on that ravine water source that they were getting, and I did get that buck back on camera several weeks later. Um, so he's still in there. So if you see an antelope with a limp somewhere in Idaho at about 9,000 feet, that's my fault. I think he's good to go, and I'm going to go after him next year. I'm sure he'll probably be in the same area. Um, so when Jake got there, it was like, okay, well, let's elk hunt tired of this antelope stuff. 
and I've been antelope hunting now for a total of 14 days. Two states haven't killed shit. Uh, we have no antelope meat at home. I'm pretty frustrated. Um, so for elk, I wanted to bust out the new bow and I guess we could call it the prototype. Well, I busted out the prototype and if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. So I already had this bow set up. I set it up right before I left. Uh, easiest thing to ever set up in my life. And that's all I can really say is like, it was ready to go. And so, uh, with that setup, I use a Carter too simple release, same arrows that I have before rip TKOs, uh, AAE veins, three helical left, um, a stainless steel insert from gold tip, uh, 125 grain, uh, micro three blade fixed broadhead, total weight 448, um, shooting out of this prototype at about 294, 294 feet a second, which is a little on the faster end for me. Um, so that's, that's what I have for elk. And so Jake and I, uh, opening day, we get up real high and we're, we're basically glassing all sorts of amazing country and, um, it's awesome. Like it's, it's phenomenal. And, um, I remember that, um, you know what? I just totally lied. Jake and I split up. Jake and I split up. My cameraman drove 30 miles south of where I was hunting to go to one of our spots we hunted last year to glass in the morning, and I went high and glassed. So we met back up midday, and I was like, dude, I saw seven bulls. They're all bachelored up. Um, none of them are big. They're all raggies. I didn't see any cows. Um, it's smoky. It's hot. My vantages suck. Um, there's hunting pressure coming from here. There's hunting pressure from there. Like it was pretty high pressured for opening day. He's like, well, I had a better morning. I saw six, six points, 70 cows all together bugling. And I'm like, oh, so what you're saying is, is we're moving camp. He's like, yeah. So we ended up packing up camp, getting everything set up and moved all the way down South to hunt that area. We spent the next two days hunting elk there. Um, we had several close calls, really good elk footage. Just, they weren't rutting quite yet. And those six bulls he saw, we couldn't find. Um, but we did see a couple of like bachelor groups of twos and threes. Um, what we were doing there was a pretty interesting tactic. We would actually glass the elk in the mornings and see which timber patch they would go in. And then in the evenings, and they weren't talking by the way, they're not bugling. Um, we would go set up whatever timber patch they came like they went in we would set up in the evenings for them to pop out and that worked really well like we got really good up close elk footage it's just that they were all cows calves and spikes even one time we watched a nice six point with all the cows and calves and spikes go into the timber patch set up for them in the evening and then they all come out and the bull must have peeled off somewhere during the day he never came out so it was really interesting um, Jake had to go home. I mean, he only had like, I only had him for two and a half days and it was like September 2nd. And I was like, well, I'm going to go up North to where I was originally and check in on those seven bachelor bulls and see if they've, they're starting to bugle yet. See if there's been a herd bull, see if any hunters went home, see if there's any elk put this place on ice. And if you know anything about elk shape, I'm a gypsy. I'm mobile. I got no issues driving 30 miles in the night to hunt a different spot. I don't like pounding the same elk day after day. So I went back to the north spot and it was like the same story, man. It was like hot. 
It was smoky. I heard zero bugles. I saw seven bulls again. They were all together. They were all rags. They weren't bugling. And they're all friends and amigos. And it was like September 3rd. And I was like, dude, I'm going home. Like, I have been gone since August 23rd. It's September 3rd. Um, I'll come back when it gets better. So I packed up camp. I'm driving home. I haven't made it out of my unit yet. And I was like, something hit me. And I was like, you know what? Called my wife. I said, babe, I'll probably be home tonight. But it's not going to be like while you're awake. I'm going to hunt till dark. I'm going to switch gears. I'm going to try some antelope hunting again. So September, so September 3rd, yours truly quit elk hunting to go antelope hunting, which is against my doctrine. Uh, elk is greater than antelope, but I did it. And I went back to my little spot and stock area at 9,000 feet, not where I wounded the buck, but like this other area where um, I had that buck from three years history. And I went in there. Um, rattlesnake infested area and I found a herd and I told myself okay no more like trying to stock in just get as close as you can and hang out just hang out with antelope as long as possible eventually one of them will feed by you and it's in any antelope tag and at this point I'm ready to shoot a doe or a buck so I found the herd I parked the dirt bike I made a couple mile you know circle got in and there's some really cool folding like coolie type country that's still pretty high as far as 8,000 feet so I got in really close to these antelope probably 90 to 100 yards and I'm peeking around this coolie and I'm looking and they're they're all spread out feeding I'm like you know what dude rather than try to make some crazy belly crawl play hang out right here and see which way they go and so these antelope were on crack they're all spread out. They got a buck. He's got like 21 does. I'm hanging out with them. Hour goes by. Next thing I know, the whole herd is kind of working their way off the mountain slightly. And so I just paralleled them a couple hundred yards away. I watched them all go down to a little seep and get a drink. Uh, the buck did not go down and get water with him. He hung out on the high ground. And I was almost tempted to go after him because all the does were gone. But he locked eyes with another buck who showed up over the top of another mountain. And I was like, ooh, this is going to get good because I hadn't seen any real rut activity between elk and antelope at this point. And this buck comes down off the mountain, all strutting, all acting tough, walking up to every piece of sagebrush and rubbing his neck on it and beating the crap out of it with his horns. And these two bucks get to about 150 yards apart and they just like have this Mexican standoff I think you can say that still and they just stare at each other for like ever to the point where I'm like this is boring are you guys gonna fight are you gonna do anything by this time all the does are done getting water they, then they come back up to the top and they're hanging out watching like they're all like spectating they're not even feeding they're like cool this ought to be good so I'm watching the does are watching we're all waiting for these bucks to like like fight do something well the buck came off the mountain definitely bigger definitely like more dominant and so he just kind of stared at this other buck and then he started slowly walking towards his does and as he would get closer to the does the buck who had the does 
starts walking away from his does. And eventually, after about an hour, it seemed like they just traded places. And now this new dominant buck is with the does, and this buck that had all the does has basically waved the white flag. And now he's 150 yards away from the herd. Well, while all that's going on, I noticed that some of the does are starting to feed around the coulee that I'm at. And I'm like, you know what, Dan, you better get down to the edge of that coulee and see if you can catch like an ambush set up here where they're going to come through. Um, so I crawl back to my pack, put it on, start jamming down the coulee. I can't see him. And I pop out the other side and there's my buck, the buck, the big buck, the buck with the does. Uh, he is out in front feeding. I'm like, this is happening right now. Ranged him, knocked, slid down, pulled back. 81.5 yards broadside with an antelope holding still with a prototype, Carter too simple, shot breaks, arrow hits exactly where I was aiming. Although when I made the shot and the, how the buck reacted, I thought I spined him. As soon as that arrow hit him, he dropped in his tracks. Like, like I either shot him in the spine or I shot him with the rifle. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I knock up real quick again. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? He's just laying there. So I run up to him, fully anticipating to shoot him again for him to jump up. Never happened. I don't know if it was the shockwave or whatever, but that arrow literally dropped him, shot him through both lungs, right where that tan brown, deserty color brown meets that bright white on an antelope in the corner pocket. I hit right there with that micro Hades, dropped him, tagged out September 3rd. Took him all apart, put him on my back, hiked out to my dirt bike, drove back to my truck, got to my truck at 10 p.m., pointed the truck north and drove and drove and drove. Got home at about six in the morning, went and passed out, Woke up the next day, butchered, hung out with the family, ended up spending the entire weekend with the family of Labor Day, um, and then got ready for my next elk excursion, which was going to be going back to Idaho um, September 8th or 9th. So I was pretty stoked to get not only my first kill of the fall with that new rig, but also to like secure antelope meat. Processed all the meat. I made 100% just backstrap steaks and the rest antelope burger with no fat added. That's how I like it. And, uh, got all my gear ready for, um, the next go on elk in Southern Idaho. And I just knew that like, you know, they have to start picking up some rutting activity. And I think it was September. I'll have to look it up because I'm not sure, but I want to say the seventh or eighth is when we headed back. Now, what you need to know is <clears throat> I budgeted a certain amount of time to hunt elk in Idaho, and then I had another hunt planned. And so I really had to be careful, like, how I spent my days. Okay, September 7th, it was my first day elk hunting back. So I took the 4th, 5th, 6th off from hunting, hung out with the family. And that's a very short break. God bless my wife. And then on the 7th, I ended up driving down to Idaho. Um, my buddy Tyler was going to join us, I think on the ninth. So we had a couple days without him, went back to a couple different old haunts, 
Um, this time I had Jake Webb filming for YouTube, and then I had uh, Jim Jim Minkle, I believe is how you say his last name. He works for Seacat Creative, uh, taking still photos, doing still photography while I was elk hunting. So I'm a solo elk hunter. I'm not used to having like a videographer. I've always solo filmed, and then so I got a videographer. Luckily, it's Jake who filmed me the year before. We have good like. He understands me a little bit as far as how I hunt and and uh, understands how I hunt and how to film how I hunt. And then Jim, never met him. Hopefully, he's not a dipshit. Hopefully, he's not, like, trying to get photos when I'm trying to, like, call. Turns out Jim, like, from the word go was amazing. He was an asset. Like, number one, the dude's in incredible shape. There were times when I'd be hiking up steep mountains and he'd be, like, running ahead of me so he can get photos. Like, I, I was super impressed. This is some steep country. Um, when it came to glassing, like, he didn't just sit there and take pictures of his glassing. Like, he took some photos, but then he'd bust out his own binos. And then he'd be like, hey, do you, I have a spotting scope. Do you want me to, like, get that bull in the spotter? It's like, yeah, that'd be cool. So he'd bust out a spotting scope. Um, he had all – I mean, he was so down to be an asset. So he took great photos. He helped find elk. And we just hunted this spot so hard the first couple days that just the elk weren't there. They weren't rutting. There, there was quite a bit of pressure. And we had to like, after two days, I was like, let's change spots. So we went, I think we did like 13 or 14 miles that last day there. And I was hurting. Um, I remember I pulled my calf a little bit. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever done that, but I pulled my calf hiking so much. Um, but it wasn't going to stop me. We loaded up the trucks, drove south uh, in the dark. We always change camps in the dark. We don't spend hunting daylight hours moving camps. Just w September is finite. We just try to maximize all legal shooting hours by being in the field. Uh, we drove back to that spot that was about 30 miles south where Jake had found those six six points. Set up shop, and I'd say... Jim was with us for probably a day and a half or two, and we were into him. Long story short is with Jim and Jake, we got to 30 yards on a really nice 320, 325, six point. And he was 30 yards, and he's coming up the hill, and all I can see is his antlers coming, coming, coming. And I think he heard us because he just stopped. And, I mean, I'm like, I ranged his antlers with my rangefinder. I was like 30, sweet, slide. And by the way, I'm using the Spot Hog two pin Fast Eddie. I need that three pin. I need three pins fixed. I this whole like having a 20 and a 35 yard pin is just I'm I'm used to at least three pins fixed. So that new stacked vertical sight I'm going to get from Spot Hog. Um next time I get a chance. I feel like that's the only way to go. Uh, if you're into spot hogs, I really like black golds as well. And usually my black golds, like on my V327 and my V331, I have three pin sliders from black gold. But I want that new spot hog stacked three pin. The thing looks super dope. And for elk hunting, I think you need at least three pins fixed. I really do. And it doesn't matter if that bottom one slides or whatever. It's just stuff happens fast. That bull hurt us. There's barely any shooting light left. And he spins a 180. I mean, he was coming on a rope. We didn't make any vocalizations. We literally saw the direction he was going. We watched him for a long time, and we finally got aggressive and tried to cut him off. 
And like I said, we got to 30 yards, and he just didn't keep coming. I'm worried, though, it probably would have been a frontal shot, and I probably would have taken it, even though I tell people not to. Um, I feel like if you're going to take a frontal shot, you got to understand it's very, very, very low odds, low percentage, especially if you've never even killed an elk, especially if you've never even cut up an elk and no anatomy. And, and, and the elk can move before the shot. Elk, the angle's weird, but like – it looked to me like I remember him come the way he was coming. I was like, "Oh crap, this is gonna be a frontal shot," and even that made me nervous. But didn't have the opportunity to see what I would have done. Um, and I don't say that to like make frontal shots like cool thing because at my elk shake camps, I actually tell people that we don't condone them. Like we actually think you should wait for broadside or quartering away. Um, in fact, I'd rather take a frontal than a quartering two shot. That's how much I hate the quartering two shot. So this bull, beautiful bull, ran back towards his cows. And then we heard a bunch of bugles coming our way, and it was just getting dark, so we sat down. And, I mean, that night was incredible because, like, I told the boys, we can't hike out from here because the elk want to go the same way we want to go, and I don't want to booger them. Let's just let them go past us. So we had to sit there in the dark and listen to a, a freaking rut fest. It was incredible. Jim was there. Jake was there. We're just sitting down. Now it's dark. Elk are screaming all around us. And I heard two different bulls like totally going back and forth, bugle chuckle, bugle chuckle. And I said, dude, those guys are going to fight. And then we heard this cow come into heat and she did like that classic elk nut estrus buzz. And she did it three times in a row. Those two bulls went crazy with their bugles. Next thing you know, we hear antlers smashing into each other just 100 yards away from us. And we're just sitting there in the dark enjoying the show. Um, we let those elk go by. And then we ended up making it down back to camp super late. And um, the next morning, Jim had to bounce out. But, man, he took some great photos. Um, super talented photographer. Like I said, he's an asset in the field. Seacat's uh, lucky to have him. And uh, we had, I think it was getting close to our last day in Idaho, and we hadn't killed anything. I think we had two days left. And um, I think it was September 11th, 20-year anniversary, where uh, we watched a really big 5x5 five five and four rag bulls go into a patch of timber. And instead of just going and setting up for the evening, which is probably maybe what we should have done, I had the bright idea of like, let's wait till midday and then let's still hunt our way into the timber. And I will find them bedded and I will sneak in and shoot them. And Jake's like, whatever, dude. Okay, it's your hunt. And that's what I did. Uh, the timber patch wasn't huge, but it wasn't small. Uh, but if you look on Onyx, you look at the topography and you look where the, like the, the shelves, the flat benchy spots are like that's what the elk should bed like elk do what elk's supposed to do most of the time so we did stock and spot hunting so i'm sneaking through the woods taking a step glassing down because the thermals are going up i'm at the edge of the timber looking through timber and this timber is not thick it's not thick at all but it's just thick enough so i'm taking a step glassing taking a step glassing 15 minutes goes by and i'm like oh got him spot spot the big bull, spot the big five by five, like a 300 inch five by five. And I was like, and that's big for Idaho, by the way. So I was like, sweet. Um, ranged him. He was like 110. I was like, Jake, 
I'm sorry to tell you this, but I can't have you stock in with me. I know the folks on YouTube would appreciate that, but I need to kill an elk. And I just think you're going to lower my odds. Jake was cool. He's like, no, man, I can film from here and get a little bit. I was like, sweet. Took my boots off in my pack as an extra pair of socks, put those on, started stocking. Long story short, next thing you know, I am 44 yards away from this 5x5. Five five. He doesn't know I'm there. There's four other bulls. No, yeah, scratch that. There's three other bulls. They're all four points or small fives. Two of them are sleeping, like dead asleep. One of them's off on the corner, and I'm like, dude, this is perfect. Like, I can't shoot this bull where, the way that he's laying down. And shooting a better bull is a tricky shot unless you have the right angle. And I did not have it. So I just slid my pin to 44, and I was prepared fully to just sit there and wait till he stood up to rebed. Plus, when you're in shallow timber like that, it's not like really mature timber. These elk can't get shade all day. Like the sun is going to eventually hit them. They're eventually not going to like that. They're going to get up, stretch their legs, maybe feed for a second, and then they're going to rebed. And I knew that was going to happen, so I was just sitting there waiting. Wind is phenomenal until it wasn't. It hits the back of my neck for just a second. I had been sitting on that bull for over an hour, and then boom, that's all it took. But all four bulls jump up and run. Don't even, like, stop to stare. They're out, and they run out of the timber, out of my life. And I was getting pretty frustrated at that point. So September 12th was our last day in Idaho. Tyler was getting into some elk. He was hunt sharing camp with us. He was hunting a completely different unit, driving quite a ways in the mornings. But he was okay with that because he was getting into elk. And he was doing kind of similar tactics like not calling, just sneaking in. And, and I was really committed to not calling in this Idaho area just because a lot of people do. These elk were pretty educated on calling. And I just find more success sneaking in and, and open country and glassing. Like that's my, that's my style. Uh, I prefer to like ambush them or pinch point them. But we kind of uncovered this new tactic of like killing them in their beds or trying to at least. Um, September 12th, I don't remember the details. I'd have to look up the video. It feels like forever ago. But I will say like I didn't, um, I didn't get into elk at all. Like there was no shot opportunities. We were, we were basically hunting elk at the bottom of the mountain and then trying to, to get in front of them at the top of the mountain, which is extremely, extremely physical. Um, the only thing I remember from our last day was that we tried to cut, um, we tried to get to the top of the mountain before the elk did, and we didn't. I don't think we beat them. Um, but when we got up to the top of the mountain, we saw a mountain goat which was really cool because Jake had never seen a real life mountain goat before. So there's mountain goats where we hunt and it was really cool to get that on video. Um, got cell phone service, uh, at the top of the mountain and found out that like, um, so Numa gear, Numa outdoors came up with all their 21 stuff. And it just seemed to, like it got here kind of late this year due to COVID. And so my, my main contact there was like, yo, Dan, like your Numa gear sh is shipped to your house and you're not there. Um, so what's our plan B? Like, do you, where's your next hunt? I'm like, my next hunt is in New Mexico. It opens the 15th. Today is the 12th. I, it's a 20 hour drive. I need to leave tomorrow morning. My cameraman arrives on the 14th. Uh, I'm picking him up at the airport in New Mexico and they're like, okay. Um, and then Jake's like, Oh dude, my sister lives in Salt Lake city. 
they could overnight the new the new gear there and we could pick it up and so i remember that was like a sunday and so we're talking to newman they're like hey uh you can't overnight stuff on sundays it's everything's closed i was like okay so if you overnight it monday it'll get there tuesday he's like yeah i'm like okay and i'm supposed to pick the cameraman up tuesday as well they're like yeah I was like, okay, so he's he, – we'll do it, but we're going to miss a day of hunting. He's like, that's cool. So if that didn't make sense, basically we got a package arriving in Salt Lake City on Monday and – or on Tuesday. So we basically – I just said, well, we get an extra morning to hunt. I'll let the cameraman know that when he arrives on Tuesday – that he can get a hotel and hang out for a day, and we'll pick him up Wednesday. Cameraman was cool with that. His name's Hunter McWaters. So I was like, sweet. So Monday, I believe it was the 13th, I think, we got up, and I said, Jake, I'm going to kill any bull today because I am not going to New Mexico to burn the rest of the hunting season in a unit that we already knew wasn't good. Like, this is good elk hunting here. I'm going to kill a bull today. And Jake's like, Cool. I'm going to film it then. I was like, great. So uh, in the dark, we hiked up to our vantage. Just as it was getting light, we saw a um, pretty good bull with some cows. Looks like they were coming our way. They never made it our way, but I did see two uh, four points, uh, two four by four bulls together go into a pretty small timber patch in bed. And I was like, that's it. That's who we're hunting. So it was about 12 o'clock. Um, Jake and I walked over to that timber patch. We were going to do stock and spot hunting. This is where I take a step. I make sure that I'm at the top of the timber. I make sure the timber is not too mature, that I can see through lanes. I take a step. I glass. I take a step. I'm looking for an ear, a tine, some yellow, a hoof. Um, you'd be surprised what you can pick off with a good set of binos and going slow. This took me about 20 minutes, and I found the bulls bedded ranged them again about 100 110 yards out again i told jake sorry to say this but you're not going to be able to follow me and get this bull killed he's like roger that um i took my boots up put my extra pair of socks on i stalked in the stalking's fast the first 50 yards the stalking's slow as molasses the last few yards so once i got to probably about 70 yards from this bull um, I'm evaluating the way that he's laying down. I'm evaluating if it, does he have complete shade? Is sun starting to hit him? Is he going to rebed? Cause if they rebed, they could move 30, 40 yards and then you have to like start all over. And then also where is the other bull and will he be able to pick me off? Well, at about 70 yards, I saw where the bull was laying down and it looked like if I could get a little closer, he was laying down in a way that I could shoot him. I also saw his partner in crime and they were bedded and they had a little bit of a finger between the two of them. So the other bull could not see me while I stalked this bull. And it was like perfect. So I spent probably an hour getting from 70 down to 49. And when I got to 49 yards, I said, okay, I don't think you can get any closer without this elk hearing you. You don't have much wind cover. It's just not windy. It's like crystal, perfect day, no wind, calm, still. Like they're going to, this elk will hear you. Um, the way that he's laying down, I can see that there's a way to get an arrow behind his shoulder 
miss the spine and come out the opposite side of his chest cavity. And so I ranged him again. I dialed the 49. I had a few limbs in the way, but I felt like I had about a pie plate of a gap. And at 49, I thought my trajectory, my arrow would be able to stay tight enough to not hit any of those limbs. The last thing I told myself was, is just go ahead and pull back. If it doesn't feel right, let down and wait for him to stand up, even though the wind could swirl and do a repeat of the other day. So I drew back, light grip on the riser, both shoulders towards the spine and down, found my anchor, bubble was immediately level. My top pin was right behind the shoulder. And I remember saying to myself, you're good to go. Keep, start pulling. And I literally put just a little bit of pressure on that Carter wise choice. And the shot broke before I could even say like, keep pulling again. It broke. I heard the sound, the bull jumps up. He runs out of sight, 20 yards down out of off a rise. I sit down and listen. I immediately hear him coughing his lungs out. And then it went silent. I went over to Jake. Jake was like, dude, did, what happened? Did you bump him? And I'm like, no, you didn't hear the shot. And he's like, no. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's dead. And we walked right over there and that bull went about, I'd say 60 yards from the shot. The arrow went absolutely perfect. It went through the pie plate lane. It went right behind the shoulder that was closest to me. And it came out to his offset shoulder and went into his leg, his upper or his arm bone, and both lungs were shattered. And we had a bull down. Uh, we ended up taking a few pictures, a quick video recovery, but it was hot. So we did the gutless method. Um, I had never butchered an elk with Jake. He was super easy to work with. Like he pulled the scan. I busted out my buck knives. We cut that thing up so fast. Um, we had it all bagged and tagged and ready to go. And we loaded them in. Oh, we both are having, we both have Kufaro hoodlums and I, I did, I made a mistake. I'll tell you what I made a mistake, but it's not a big deal. I left both. I left the legs on all the quarters just to hang them easy to hang it in the tree. And I had full intention of like cutting those off just to save weight when we were done. But when we got all those, like I, I took a hind quarter and a front shoulder Jake took a hind quarter and a front shoulder. And then I think Jake took the back strap. I might've had the neck meat, but we had heavy, like we had 120 plus pounds plus gear. And we got all that situated. And I was like, dude, we didn't take the legs off. And he's like, I know. I'm like, I'm not unstrapping all this stuff. Cause we use the straps from the pack. Plus obviously some 550 paracord to really secure that heavy load. And I didn't want to undo knots and all that jazz. And it was hot. And I wanted to get back to the truck and cold beer was on ice waiting. So I was like, dude, it's all downhill. Let's just do it. And, uh, we filmed a little bit of that for Instagram and man, did I get a lot of comments? Like people like, don't you know how to debone? Don't you know how to take legs off of an elk? And it's like, really? I've packed out 30 something elk of my own plus however many friends have killed. You don't like, I know that, but I was not going to un like do all our knots and stuff to get knives to cut those out. So I just, I put on Instagram the other day that we're not pussies. We just sucked it up, put it on our backs, hiked it out, straight shot, full elk, one tripped it. Kufaro Hoodlum, amazing backpack for elk hunting. And Dude, it was awesome. So we um, we knew we were going to leave. 
the on the 14th at O Dark 30. Um, we could have left right then and there, but Tyler was out hunting and he was getting into elk so much that I was like, dude, he may kill something tonight and it would be super dope if we could help him get it off so he's not by himself. Um, Tyler didn't get anything that night, so we left first thing in the next morning. Um, I ended up taking my meat to somewhere in Draper, Utah, where there was a wild game only processing center. They were awesome. They were like, yeah, we'll take your meat. We'll let it hang for two weeks. If you can't pick it up, we'll ship it to you. I was like, sold. And uh, we ended up stopping at Jake's sister's and getting the NUMA package. We got to charge batteries, eat lunch, do two loads of laundry, shower, get the truck loaded. And then we ended up driving the rest of the day and we made it to New Mexico, camped at the truck. And then I believe on the 15th opening day in New Mexico, we stopped at Walmart, got all the food for the week, groceries, and then picked up Hunter from his hotel and we headed towards New Mexico. Now that'll be the next podcast. That'll be a really interesting, controversial podcast. Um, I'll just say this. I, the truth is always enough. That's something that I was raised with. Like, if you're lying, you have to like remember the lie or the lies and all the details. And then like, you, you, no one ever can remember the details of the lies because they're lies. They didn't really happen. And whereas the truth is easy to remember because it's actually what happened. It's the truth. The truth is always enough. And that's going to be the name of the next podcast, I swear. It's like, I'm just going to tell the truth of what happened in New Mexico. And some people are going to be upset that I'm going to name the unit, but I really feel like it's a unit that should probably be closed for several years so the elk can make a comeback. It's not a great place to elk hunt. There's way better over-the-counter places to elk hunt than there. And um, what we experienced, I, I want it to stop. I want other people to not have to experience that. Like, And so that's all the tease for next week, but I will definitely drop that. And um, it'll be interesting to see what you guys think. So um, thought I'd catch you guys up to speed. Uh, today is September 29th. I am going elk hunting in two days. I'm going on a wilderness backpack elk hunt. I will be on public land. I will not be filming. This is a selfish solo elk hunt, and I can't wait. I have no expectations. I just hope to hear elk. And then if I can hear elk, there's a good chance I can get in on them. So I hope your season's going well. Uh, I want to finish this podcast with saying, hey, if you're a listener of this podcast, if you're a member over at the Elk Collective, if you have been to an elk shape camp, if there's something that we have done here that has helped you in your success, would you please take the time to email me, elkshape at gmail, and let me know, like send me a paragraph, a novel, some pictures. What was it that, what was the nugget or the tip that you learned? How did it provide you success? And for your efforts, I will get your address and I will send you some swag stuff and it'll be worth your while. Appreciate you guys. You have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts, but not that many when it comes to elk hunting. I hope you dig this one. I appreciate your support. Separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one.